0: This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at iltm podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. Right now, we're covering She Hulk, and we also cover you know other movies that I'm watching. A lot of people ask me for opinions on on movies and shows that I'm watching, so I put all that on the Patreon. Um, and I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons. They are Chris Belga. Jeff Widman, Philip Barker, Michael Cross, and Josh Johnson. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. And if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It it does help new listeners find us. Well, we've got a familiar voice on the podcast. I've got Cody from Video Store Rejects.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come on. I know I kind of bullied myself to come back on the show, but
0: (laughs) that is not true. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> always favorite. love having you on.
1: It's my favorite time of the year. And I know last year you posted like who wanted to come on and discuss a Christmas movie. And then I know like you either had too many people that wanted to come on or scheduling and stuff. And so I was like, I'm going to try and get myself on for spooky season this year. Cause I always want to talk a spooky movie, especially when it's October.
0: I totally get that. And yeah, I've been like, Getting a lot of requests. I know I'm going to run out of weeks, but I'm trying to make sure that everybody gets a chance. (laughs) And so I appreciate your your tenacity. Thank you so much for reaching out. Um, and, And if people haven't heard your episodes on the podcast before, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit?
1: Uh, sure. Uh I'm Cody House. I have a show called Video Store Rejects. We do director filmographies and we kinda do a weekly sideshow where we discuss themes. Like right now we're doing spooky movies. We just did Nightmare on Elm Street and Night. Hellraiser, the original Hellraiser. I haven't seen the new one yet. Um I haven't either, yeah. And we're doing Season of the Witch and Dream Warriors next week. And um you've had me on the show twice uh you man. i think you managed to keep me under an hour of talking about robocop so hats off to you for that because <laughs> i don't know how you did that and then we talked life of brian for easter
0: that's right and and also i've been on your show a couple times too so
1: yes you have you've done mm-hmm. uh princess mononoke titanic et and rathacon
0: mm-hmm. yeah did the Titanic one come out? I feel like I didn't. I missed that one. I no, totally that was <laughs> when
1: we were still doing audio only, and that's somewhere in the editing room somewhere. I'm sorry. I
0: I only I hope someday it sees the light of day only because I feel like there were some good
1: jokes made. But yeah, was, we had uh, a good it was time.
0: Quite a tedious edit though, because I feel like that was a long one because it's a long movie.
1: <laughs> well, it was shorter than our Aliens episode we recorded. Really? Yeah. Oh.
0: Well, um my guest always picks the movie. Obviously, I've teased that it is spooky season, so it will be a spooky movie. But what movie did you choose to talk about today?
1: I chose Wes Craven's foundational, or at least it's foundational for me horror film Scream.
0: Now, can I can I admit to you you're like, oh, you must have loved it because you picked this one. You gave me like a couple options and I said, Let's do this one. Truth be told, this may be the first time I've ever sat down and seriously watched it all the way through. Like, it's been on. I didn't uh-huh. see it in theaters when it came out. It's been on TV. I've, I've like, you know, kind of sat down and watched it when it's on. But I, I think this was, like, my, the first time I gave it my undivided attention,
1: actually. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. that's, that's wild because... <laughs> I I just listened to a podcast about this the other day. It's a, it's called the Faculty of Horror. They're two Canadian professors. They're women, and they talked about like how you know this was a foundational film for especially millennials. Like I know it's considered like a Gen X horror film because of the age of everyone in the movie and it's the late <laughs> '90s and written by Kevin Williamson, but I really feel like this was like for our generation. This was like a like a touchstone for like either getting us into horror movies or like one of one of the ones where we're like, oh yeah, that's one of our favorites. And apparently it's a very popular with women millennial women because i guess there's a lot of older male horror fans that are in the gen x or older crowd that may have grew up in the 70s and 80s that kind of pushed us to the side or gatekeeping and we can talk about maybe why that is why that is because that was shocking to me too because I knew this was like a well-reviewed movie for a horror film when it came out. And I thought everyone like liked this movie. But I guess maybe they don't consider it like, you know, top-tier horror films. But, I mean, it did kind of resurrect horror movies for the 90s.
0: Um, I completely agree with you. I will say that I was in full brat mode when this came out. It's 1996. <laughs> so I was probably like 13 or 14. And... I was very counterculture at that time. And a lot of the stars in this movie were very popular. I mean, this is like, you know, like you said, it's like the 90s. But I do agree that it it is a millennial movie. Um, And all my high, all my, uh, sorry, junior high at the time, like, friends loved these actors. And I kind of was like, oh, like, I acted like I was, I always acted like I was, like, older, wiser, somehow Better and so I feel like that got in the way of me enjoying this. And remember this? I think this came out. Is it when like the American Pie movies and stuff like that this came is out a
1: few years before American okay, Pie?
0: Okay. Well, there was like a good chunk of time where I was like, movies these days and what the kids are into. It it sucks, <laughs> which is very I think teenagery to do. Uh-huh. Um, but especially when you kind of don't fit in, it's sort of your go to. Um, I think defense mechanism. So, you know, I think that's why I didn't give this a chance. And then I also don't really love slasher movies, um, Mm -hmm. which I think this movie is kind of a takedown on the slasher genre, which is kind of cool and refreshing. But I think because I tend to like stuff that is supernatural, that's what truly scares me, um, more than, realistic horror for some reason and so I gravitate towards that and I also don't I I don't know I just I don't get a huge kick out of usually seeing people stabbed specifically by like a serial killer so I think that's why I kind of stayed away from this movie for so long but I think I've in recent years been sort of re-examining that entire genre of horror and viewing it under a new lens and thinking about it differently so i thought this was like the perfect time to go back and watch this movie again
1: yeah i think it is kind of a takedown like it is often considered a satire but i think it's also like a love letter to those movies but at the same time pointing out like the ridiculousness of those movies so i've What I like about this movie, besides that, it's you know all about being obsessed with movies and talking about movies, (laughs) yeah, is that it kind of points out like what's ridiculous about the slasher genre. And like in this movie, the ghost faced killer, like it's more realistic, like he falls down and people kick him and hit him and he runs into (laughs) things, like and he has to chase them literally, like he's not this unstoppable killing machine walking at a steady pace coming after them and you're Yeah, I agree. and you're more with the victims and the the characters that are potentially being threatened by Ghostface than you are it's not like Jason or Michael Myers where you're watching through the killer's eyes
0: Exactly. I think that's the biggest shift in the slasher genre it's sort of almost in some ways like a dark To me, a bit of a dark power fantasy where, you know, the killer is just like larger than life, almost godlike killer that's just going around, taking people out, making up his own rules, tormenting people and getting away with it. This movie, you know, at the end of the day, it's a flesh and blood person. It's a team, which makes more sense, honestly, than just being one person anyway. Um, And if they're wearing a mask, obviously could be more than one person I mean, there's just a lot of stuff to dissect. It just makes more sense. Uh, and and also, they're stupid, to be honest. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, by the end of the movie, you're like, oh, this is a dumb kid. And when and then I think in real life, it's, it's closer to reality. You know, th- there's been a lot of talk recently, um, and I, I'll try not to go on too much of a tangent, but a, a lot of people in the true g- crime genre don't like the fact that we sort of, you know, lift up some pretty terrible names in history of people that committed horrific crimes and we kind of almost put them on a pedestal and like oh they're evil Mm -hmm. geniuses but i feel like this movie's like you don't have to be an evil genius to cause mayhem you know it's just like at all and i think more often than more often than not that's the case they're not geniuses and so like like you said i think it's sort of an homage to all horror um but at the same time is a little bit of a critique on the genre as well. Like it's just doing a lot of different things that are interesting. And the movie brags basically about being different and subverting expectations. And it does that. But I think that could be what leads to the gatekeeping. I mean, if you're really in love with that genre and you're in love with its rules and then a movie sort of shakes those rules up, I think that's going to lend itself to being a little bit controversial.
1: Well, And another thing it does, and let's be honest with a lot of the fans of these type of films, is they watch it for sex and violence, right? They want to see boobies. And this movie, even though it has a sex scene, you don't really see anything. Like, they don't really show you anything that you normally get in a slasher movie that was in, like, those Friday the 13th movies.
0: Yeah, and I want to say, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not like against it. You know, those older horror films, I think they're good. They have their place. But one critique on them is that women, especially female victims, are usually almost like a lot of times when they get taken out, you don't even see their face or and there's a lot of nudity involved. And like, you know, they feel like it's a little bit dehumanizing. And so this movie, I think, goes against that. I mean, they talk about that in the movie, actually, but they don't end up doing that in this film like you said there's a sex scene and they talk about the rule in a lot of horror movies about how like if somebody loses their virginity like they're going down yeah you know spoiler like that that's not what happens in this movie so like there's yeah i think i think that could be why there's some controversy oh you know before i go too much further (laughs) because we're already talking so much about the movie um if you haven't seen this movie before we are going to talk spoilers um so you know maybe go see it first um you've had time but you know it, it's a you could rent it come back and watch it i actually rented or it or if on you iTunes. have
1: paramount plus or showtime oh, was it on there all five films are on there so you well, could shoot. watch the whole franchise
0: <laughs> but anyway if you have um, that service i do and i didn't realize that but that's okay it happens um so The plot of this is that a year after the murder of the main character's mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets her and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. Um, And this movie has kind of been parodied to death at this point. Yeah, (laughs) interesting. Sorry. No, no, go for it.
1: The parody of this movie, Scary Movie, was actually the original title of this before they changed it to Scream.
0: Really? Okay, that's a great, that's a good segue into I wanted to share some quick facts. That's a great quick fact. Um, Another one that I had was that Wes Craven nearly turned down the option to direct scream because he thought the first scene with Drew Barrymore reminded him too vividly of the climax sequence of Last House on the Left, his Mm. first movie.
1: Yeah, and also Wes Craven, even though we consider him The one of the masters of horror, he really Mm -hmm. hated that he was like pigeonholed to that genre for most of his career. Like, oh, really? He will say that his favorite film he directed was Music from the Heart because it's like the one time he got to make something that wasn't horror or horror askewed, even though I would say he's at least made four or five foundational films in the genre. I know. You know this and Nightmare on Elm Street are the two everyone says, but love him or hate him, his first two films, even though they're very exploitation y, were groundbreaking films. And I'm even gonna mm-hmm. throw in People Under the Stairs now. I'm glad that it's getting a remake with filmmakers of color to tell that story, but yeah, and I can't remember if it came out late '80s, early '90s, but for him to do that at that time point and have that kind of statement in horror was very groundbreaking. Even though it's not as popular as some of these other films in his resume.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I didn't, I didn't realize that. But yeah, I mean, you think of him as like, I mean, it's almost shocking to hear him say that he didn't like being pigeonholed for that because he made so many of them and did it so well um including doing groundbreaking and uh original things um Why would even thing- oh, go, go, ahead,
1: ahead. go ahead oh, oh no I you're think- fine uh the how meta this movie is he kind of already did it two years prior with new nightmare as well like mm-hmm even though that wasn't as popular of a movie, which I guess people were just tired of Freddy Krueger at that point. Even though it <laughs> kind of was doing what pe- people who didn't like the sequels were complaining about, like it made him scary again and like was a really a horror film. Yeah, even though it was a movie within a movie sort of thing going on in that one.
0: Oh, interesting. Maybe that just kind of set the foundation for this one. Um I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Um but I I feel like that one also was a little bit, you know, it's his stuff is kind of like it's good but it's 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 a little bit silly like there's humor to sort of break up well uh, the scary parts. Comedy is, and horror you know, like, are
1: like the opposite sides of a coin. They're actually mm-hmm. they actually go well together. And like the setup for a joke is the same setup as a scare, so it makes sense, like, someone like Jordan Peele is so good at making horror films, even though he started in, in comedy, you know.
0: Yeah, that leads into my next fact I was going to say, uh, just thinking about the new reboot of this, but uh, Wes Craven directed seven episodes of The Twilight Zone.
1: Uh, Which version?
0: I think the uh, in 86.
1: The 80s, because, re- yeah, 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 they've yeah. rebooted it, like, three times i think now
0: but jordan peele rebooted it as well so that's kind of yeah. interesting um one weird thing too is that wes craven's never directed uh or written you know a screenplay for a stephen king or written uh, sorry let me say that one more time he's never directed a movie based on like a stephen king novel that's interesting which is kind
1: of weird mm-hmm. yeah because carpenter did one cronenberg did one I'm trying to th- I think that's the only two big horror guys that did one. Like there's some other big name directors that
0: Yeah, well, like Kubrick. Well
1: Flanagan yeah. Flanagan's done two, which he's kind of mm-hmm. and yeah. So that's kind of weird that Craven never did a, a King adaptation.
0: And it's not like you can say, like, oh well, this is so dramatically different from something Stephen King would come up with because It's not like neither one really, but yeah, maybe he just along with that pigeonhole thing you're talking about, maybe he just chose like to stay away from that because it's so on the nose or I I don't know, but interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess leaning more into talking about Wes Craven, you already talked about some of his filmography with, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Last House and Left, The Hills Have Eyes. Um, also, a, a movie that my husband really likes, "Deadly Friend."
1: <laughs> I've never seen that. I've heard about that one. Is that the one with? Um... It's
0: got like an evil robot.
1: Yeah, I can't it's, remember.
0: It's really fun, like if you that. Sharon it, you know, you're gonna... Stone is in that. Maybe uh, I'm trying to young remember. Stone? I, we watched it like a couple years ago. I'm gonna look it up. I,
1: I haven't <laughs> seen all of his movies. I, I'm. No, I'm more of, sure of a more of a carpenter guy, but I I'd oh, need to see we'll the rest see. of his yeah. movies. But this movie, this is what got me into horror movies, really. Really? OK. Yeah. Uh, so backstory of why I love this movie. Um, when I was a little kid, I was a little scaredy cat, scared of everything. <laughs> I I didn't want to watch anything. I didn't want to watch anything spooky. Apparently, one year for Halloween, this guy came out of a coffin and I ran all the way back to our house because we were living in like a neighborhood where you could just walk <laughs> around the block. to.
0: You're like, I'm done. I'm good.
1: <laughs> and I had seen spooky ish movies like I'm I know I had seen Jaws already. I had seen like Beetle that Beetlejuice, Critters, Gremlins, stuff like that. But I guess it had to be either humorous or sci-fi or monster askew because i'm pretty sure i'd seen some of the alien movies already but the first alien movie scared me so but um well
0: i mean it's kind of a horror movie i mean
1: it was totally a horror movie but i don't know i guess in my rational brain i was like oh well you know and that that can't happen in real life or something but it wasn't i guess spooky enough to i don't know but Also, I was scared, but I was also intrigued by the horror section. Like there were certain like videos I'd want to just stare at, like the thing VHS cover or some other things, but I didn't ever like get ballsy enough to rent one. I would just look at it and then like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. And uh, I used to be definitely afraid of Freddy Krueger, even though I hadn't seen all the movies. I just the look, you know, and, oh yeah, I was scared yeah. of them
0: too. I, I I was scared of Child's Play. I had mm-hmm. horrible nightmares about about um dummies like forever. Like I have a terrifying nightmare that I still remember every detail of to this day. <laughs> like I was a big scaredy cat too. I get it.
1: Yeah, uh, I saw that way too young, and it scared me as well. So I just made it to the point where I was like, okay, I'm just not a horror movie person. I don't like scary movies. Like. The Sleepy Hollow cartoon scared me. Like, you know, like, it, it was spooky. Scary.
0: The it's, Fantasia... It, I mean, when you see that Headless guy? It's like... <laughs> I mean, I guess as an adult, you're like, oh, I'm used to that story now. Dah, dah, dah. It's like a, almost like a fairy tale. But, I mean, a Headless Horseman is scary.
1: <laughs> the Bald Mountain scene and Fantasia scared me. Like, I was just a big scaredy <laughs> cat. But anyways, uh, I get, yeah, I'm junior high age at the time this comes out. It's... I didn't see this in theaters because one, I didn't want to because it was a scary movie, and two, you know, I was far too young. I don't think they would have taken me to see it. But I was seeing action movies already at this age. But I don't know. People have a weird thing about which type of violence is okay to watch and which isn't. But anyways,
0: true, true, true. Including myself, I'll, I'll call myself out too. <laughs> I, my best friend. We all have at the, our rules.
1: Yeah, my best friend at the time is like Summer Vacation. I guess it's at the video store. And he's staying the night. And he's like, we should rent Scream. I'm like, it's a scary movie. I don't want to watch it. He's like, come on, give it a chance. It's, it's you know, it should be good. I, I, I guess I suckered myself into peer pressure or whatever. I don't know how he talked me into it. But I was like, fine, we'll watch it. And I loved it. And after I got done watching Scream, I went out and rented Halloween and Friday the 13th. And that's... Wow. So it, like, it, it hooked me. I was like, okay, I like scary movies. And I think this is a good segue to get someone into scary movies because it's scary enough that it's not like making fun or it's not spooky at all but it's not too scary to where like you just traumatized me for the rest of my life. I'm, you know, it's a nice, I agree. it's a nice in between type of movie because of that humor, because of that meta self referential dialogue and everything in the movie. It kind of, it kind of welcomes you into a horror movie.
0: I agree. I think, you know, for me, like it, it doesn't really scare me. I think, everyone has what scares them, you know, and it's different for everybody. And so for me, like the slasher genre isn't, I mean, in real life, obviously I'd be afraid of somebody breaking and entering and stuff, but, um, but you know, in the context of a movie, it's not usually what makes me super afraid. And I think even if it is something that's scary typically to you, I think this movie does a good job of sort of skating the line. Like you said, it's more kind of in the middle, mid range of what's scary. Um, So I, I do think it's a good introduction for sure. Um do you want to talk a little bit about the cast next?
1: Yeah, so let's go ahead and first off, great opening to a movie even if it is a little similar to Last House on the Left, but they pull a psycho on us, right? Like Yep. Probably the only name well people probably knew who Courtney Cox was because Friends oh, was yeah. on TV show by then, but you know, of all the other actors that are playing teens nobody knew who anybody was but drew barrymore really you know yes
0: and she's looking so wholesome and sweet and beautiful and then she's murdered right away
1: (laughs) yeah just not
0: expecting it
1: and then you're like well who's the move who's the person this movie's about they just killed the movie star
0: yeah and i will say like right away and maybe like Maybe I can get some of your thoughts on this, but okay. So Drew Barrymore is murdered and we know she's playing, you know, she's forced to play a game, uh, a movie game with the killer. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of cuts to, you know, the next day at school. And uh, we know that Nev Campbell's character, Sydney, um, Man, see, I want to talk about this movie so bad. I'm like jumping ahead of everything. I <laughs> That's either. fine. Like, let's it's just the... do that. We'll just talk about the we'll talk about the actors as they come up. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this rules, is the rules. nature of
1: podcasting. You don't have <laughs> to go in is. order.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but I noticed that like at school, people right away are or kids right away um, are making not light of. Well, they do later make light of the deaths, but I noticed they're not that broken up like they're their class member was killed nobody is crying in this classroom did you notice that
1: yeah that is interesting and you know like i know that we are much more self-aware about people's mental health when something traumatic happens now than we were but still you would think like because this looks like it's small town usa right like a teenager two teenagers were brutally murdered the night before you think people would be a little f- more freaked out, like maybe not crying and like it doesn't seem like she was that close to the main group of characters were following, but they knew her because it's a small school. Right. So you would think somebody would be upset or.
0: Yeah, like she didn't have any friends or what's going on, because like nobody but like there is a vibe to the school and I guess maybe it just kind of lends to the hyper reality of the movie, or I didn't know if it was supposed to be a commentary on the '90s. I, I don't know, but I noticed that people were like unusually cruel. Like, um, you know, the way that Sydney. So we find out that like Sydney's mother was killed and a, and possible and sexually assaulted. We'll say at this mm-hmm. stage in the movie, they think she was sexually assaulted and murdered, and people like mercilessly tease Sydney about this. And also when. Drew Barrymore is killed and like gutted as they say the kids are very callous about it and some of that mm-hmm. makes sense later like we know we find out why some of the kids are so shitty but um but like overall i think just in general like the atmosphere of like making jokes and dressing like the killer and stuff like that you're like man these kids really um have no boundaries
1: <laughs> right
0: like they're they're not sensitive at all and like nobody seems to be really <laughs>
1: Well, you know, the Fonz is pretty sensitive to everything.
0: He is, but I think he's also a red herring. Would you agree that like at one point in the movie, you almost they almost want you to think he might have been the one that did it?
1: Maybe, but I think the whole reason he ends up getting killed is to throw off the um investigation you know that's
0: true but i mean for the audience like there's that part where he like threatens those two teenagers and he's like oh that's
1: true he does seem very convincing you
0: and i was like i don't think a principal should like tell students that he's thinking about cutting them up
1: yeah that's a little (laughs) far even though like they deserve to be berated for what they did for sure for sure, what but they Not did to the hospital. point of harm, really physical harm, and possible murder.
0: <laughs> I'm like, they are ch- children. I mean, they look 25 years old, but. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, most of this cast was well past teenage years, but, you know, that's the nature yeah. of Hollywood because children, you can't work minors on a 12 hour shift. And the subject and nature of sometimes what these films involve better to have adults.
0: For sure, for sure. And, like, so Sydney, you know, ends up getting questioned about this. We kind of meet the little cast of characters, David Arquette, as Deputy Dewey, (laughs) who is also uh, the brother of uh, Rose McGowan's character, which I forgot she was in this.
1: Yeah, everybody tends to forget because I guess she's only in the first one, but she's really good in this. And uh, so, yeah, I like her as the best friend. And she's got probably the most memorable death in the movie to me.
0: Oh yeah. It's pretty original. Um, You know, that, that garage really should have had a safety on it (laughs) for when someone's trapped in the dog door. But um, yeah, she has like the most memorable death and she looks beautiful and very striking with that hair. Like I was like, whoa, she kind of, I don't know. She really stands out to me in this movie. Um, Also, skeet Yolrich as billy um
1: uh, aka low rent johnny depp
0: yeah yeah you can't help but wondering like was wes craven like i should have just casted johnny depp again and i couldn't get well, it he'd or... have
1: been too old at that point but <laughs>
0: that's that's true um but billy who is um I'm just going to say it. Dude's a horrible boyfriend right off the bat.
1: Oh, um. totally a horrible boyfriend. <laughs> in fact, they talked about this on the podcast I mentioned. They talked about this because Ski Overick was also in The Craft same year. So was Nev Campbell. Oh, that's right. But he's playing kind of similar guys. He kind of, and like a woman, I forget, they wrote about this, like, His character is the very definition of what people should watch out for because he comes off as, oh, he's this cute, charming guy, but really he revolts to like manipulation and passive aggressiveness and, you know, physical violence and trying to get girls to have sex with him, you know? Yeah, I feel like in
0: the 90s they they were like really examining that type of guy like i'm thinking of my so-called life and uh you know jared leto's character was kind of like this a little bit too he was (laughs) yeah maybe in real life i don't know but he wasn't like a murderer or anything but on the show he's like a very you know handsome kind of troubled um teenage boy but he's he he kind of is a, a a bad guy like he you know he cheats on the main character he's a little bit manipulative he's you know and it's kind of like the the guy that your parents warn you about kind of thing where it's like okay this guy at school is handsome but like he's gonna grow up to probably be not such a great person and i feel like in the 90s and early 2000s they were kind of examining like instead of like I guess giving this guy an out all the time, like maybe we examine who this person is, this archetype, you know? And so I think maybe that's why, you know, casting sort of like a handsome dude, but like you said, like he's able to get away with things because he's charming, but underneath that he's got some pretty obvious flaws. Like
1: lots of red flags.
0: Yeah. Like I didn't realize the first time I saw this, that he was going to end up being the killer or one of them.
1: Um, oh yeah, because they kind you...
0: of do that back and forth dance, but really like when he's pressuring her to have sex with him when he and involves the death of her mom?
1: Right, that like husband,
0: how that has something to do with it and then he's like you need to get over that and plus she was a slut and like you're like oh my god, I was like oh maybe, you know, it's the 90s, I guess. That was okay then, and then it's like, oh no, he's the killer. That's why
1: (laughs) it it wasn't okay then. It's not okay now. That's part of like this horrible double standard that's a huge issue with men and women. Like we throw that word around when any time a woman is promiscuous or enjoys sex, but we don't say that about a man when he does similar behavior, and. Truth be told about his character, that's really more what these toxic predatorial men are. Like We want to think they're all these evil people lurking in the shadows that snatch someone out of a corner. But really, it's that charming, manipulative person who tells you they're a nice person, but really they're not.
0: Yeah, and it's it's also about opportunity and uh, proximity and all that stuff has a big part in it. Um, you know, we, you would like to think, like you said, that it's a stranger, but it's probably going to be somebody that they know. Um, yeah. I think there's even like a big, you know, a good monologue about, you know, oh, I don't have a motive. And like, that's even more interesting when we don't have a motive. And then it's like, they're sort of the killers try to make themselves out in this film to be so interesting. And so above having a motive, but at this, at the end of the day, they, they just have their basic motives that, killers would have you know <laughs> like yeah, i think just, that's an interesting part of the movie too
1: it's also you know oh we can do this because we want to and we'll get away with it and we'll make up this story blah 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 yeah no no they're not interesting but,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're not they don't have fascinating backstories they're not deeply mysterious they're just two two people at their high school actually you know in the end um but yeah, no, I think, I think like you said, the first opening scene is great, and uh, and then our introduction to our cast of characters is really good, too. Um, and then, you know, there's there's going to be a few more kills uh, before we get to find out more about our killers. Are, are there any other scenes in between that you kind of want to touch on? Well, stand out to you?
1: I think Jamie Kennedy kind of comes off as annoying now, but... 11 12 year old (laughs) 11 and 12 year old cody kind of identified with him a little bit because i was very movie obsessed not horror movie obsessed but that felt like the person i could relate to in the movie but now i'm like oh that he he kind of comes off grading like a tarantino or something (laughs) which maybe that's who they were sort of modeling the character after you know
0: yeah maybe so um but i also feel like he's he's to throw you off just a little bit too because true because like people
1: would think oh he's the killer because he knows all these movies and he's obsessed (laughs) with them and which
0: uh, yeah
1: which as this franchise goes along like like that's legacized with his character especially with the new one
0: Okay, I need to see the new one. It's
1: actually wow. pretty good. Actually, all that. these movies are decent. Like for their for a horror franchise, these are all none of the sequels are as good as this one, but they are all watchable, entertaining movies that all have a little something interesting to say.
0: That's good. Yeah, I um you know, I thought in the movie like when when I alluded to earlier that like all the all the teens are being callous and they're being jerks. Some of that is because our cast of killers is within this group. And in order to not make that too obvious, we have to kind of make everybody a jerk. <laughs> so I think that's part of why Jamie Kennedy's character kind of comes off as a little bit thoughtless and doofy and like rude. Um, but also, yeah, he represents the horror movie fan or movie. fan. Right. He's the fandom, which horror. that,
1: Can as we know in all fandoms, that can be a grating, (laughs) annoying person sometimes, especially if what they thought was it supposed to be wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And it's like, well, maybe you should just watch the movie for what it is. And if you don't like it, fine. But, you know, someone else likes it.
0: That's true, and but i I also think like it's interesting now because this movie has become some somewhat of a time capsule, right? Because mm-hmm. you know the fashion in the movie, the movie stars that are picked, and then this video store scene, I mean this
1: makes it well yeah, also the phones and that, that it's gonna take them a while to get the phone records. It's like, can't you just why do you look? have
0: a cell phone? <laughs> He's like, can't you just grab the phone, phone and days? look
1: and see who he called and like. Her the internet when she calls nine one one like yeah it's very 90s
0: yeah what's your emergency she's like i can type all that yeah it's (laughs) um very very 90s but yeah no i could see i could see how like younger a young person seeing the you know basically the nerd character in this you know relating to that i definitely would have related to that as well so totally get it
1: And I could see, like, even though this movie's dated, I could see younger people watching it, especially younger people that are kind of enrooted in fandom. Yes. Kind of being like, oh, yeah, this movie is exactly, like, commenting on that sort of thing and those people.
0: Yep, yep.
1: I think we need to talk about Courtney Cox in this movie because I think she's very good. And I think it's interesting that normally because she's playing like a sleazy tabloid like reporter like, you know, like back in the day, it was like what hard copy and like maybe a TMZ like type of reporter.
0: Yeah. And also maybe just a little bit of a critique of the media in general. Like I was watching a pretty heartbreaking TikTok from um, to get a little bit serious, but I I won't stay on this too long but it was a, a former victim of Columbine and like the way mm-hmm. the media, um, the way the media sort of hounded them,
1: mm-hmm. you know, they
0: had just witnessed this horrible event and they're obviously traumatized. And yet the, a camera is thrown in their face right away and they're questioned. Um, you know, these, these poor victims um, are so young. They're, they were minors and like mm-hmm. a camera is thrown in their face immediately asking, for details, asking for their takes and da da da, and I think Courtney Cox kind of, she kind of represents those types of reporters that like only care about the story, only care about the headline and the reaction. Um, there's even a part where either she or one of the other reporters tells uh, the main character like, "You owe us, you know, you owe the people an explanation," and like really outrageous treatment <laughs> of a minor who experienced multiple tragedies you know right um i wonder if some of it is a little bit of a commentary on that
1: i think it is but we know if this movie was made today she'd be a podcaster and
0: yeah a podcaster with a true true crime podcast for sure Yep. But it's interesting
1: that even though she's playing like a representation of like that type of media at that time cuz you know this is post OJ trial and around the time the John Benet Ramsey case um she's actually right in her book like she wrote a book about it right like she's actually like she was actually right like you know Yeah, her-
0: I think yeah Go ahead. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Even though she's so insensitive good. and just cares about the story, she actually ha- got it right. And, like, she's trying to get to the bottom of it. And That's
0: true. I think they kind of start portraying her a certain way. And then it's the more you get to know the character, it's sort of flipped around. Um, well,
1: we also, and I don't know if this was in the script naturally that her and David Arquette's character were going to kind of hook up. Or they just had chemistry. Like the just natural life chemistry. Because they ended up being married for a long time. And they. That's true. Developed that into the script. But you know it's kind of sweet. In this movie. It is.
0: And it's more age appropriate for Dewey. Who you know you can tell that he. Has feelings. It makes sense. He's young. You know I don't think the age gap is huge. But he has feelings for his sister's friend. A little bit. But I think. You know, him moving on to the uh, reporter makes a little more sense because at least they're both adults. Uh-huh. I think Courtney Cox is like older than him, or at least she's playing older than him. But
1: She is older than him in real <clears throat> life. And I think she's supposed wow. to be playing older than him because she makes that comment like, I'm popular with young men between this age and this age.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> she probably really was because of friends. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Um, in
1: real life, too. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, I think, uh, another cool thing about her and the main character too, is like, you know, there's, they have a lot of confrontations and, and fights in the film where she calls her, you know, the B word and stuff, but Mm -hmm. ultimately they, um, go to bat for each other at the, at the climax. And I think that's, that's another subverting expectations. Like instead of having them be in this like sort of petty cat fight, they actually strengthen their relationship and, you know. Courtney Cox saves the day at the end. Um, and Nev Campbell's character is sort of, you're right, she doesn't see like the truth. She's really stuck on this idea for a lo- long part of the movie that her mother is quote unquote innocent. Um, mm-hmm. In the sense that uh, one theory that Gail had was that, you know, her mother was having an affair and that could have been why the killer killed her. And Witch, uh, Sydney. That's... Yeah. Doesn't want to accept this. And it's interesting, right? Because she's preventing her mother from getting real justice because of the perception. The perception is worse than the crime, which Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be. That's pretty sexist, you know, like that's terrible. Well, Um, that that damn patriarchy,
1: you know? (laughs) Yeah.
0: And she internalizes that. There's a point where she's like, I'm worried I'll turn out like my mother and, and then her boyfriend's like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, you're worried you'll become a slut. And you're like, what? God. Like, that's uh, that's crazy. Oh. Like, what's going on? And then later you find out, OK, because he's a killer. <laughs> and he killed her for yeah. that reason.
1: And yeah. I, I love how, like, yeah, she's playing the final girl. And that's part of the trope of these movies. But like, she subverts it by like. Playing them at their own game.
0: Yes, that's the best part. And it kind of makes sense, too, because I think, you know, her character had this tragedy she went through. And I think because he's back out to get her again, she's a lot bolder. Like, almost like I'm, like, that kind of mentally prepared her for this part. Whereas the other characters, I think, like Drew Barrymore and and some of the other characters that get killed are more caught off guard she's like ready to fight because she knows something happened to her mom and that someone did it. So I think she's always secretly kind of bracing herself for that. And she's also like, you know, at school she's not well liked and people are bullying her. And so it's, it's sort of toughened her up for the end.
1: Yeah. We get that scene in the bathroom with these random characters we never see again, just like eviscerating her for no reason.
0: Yeah, just mean girl stuff, you know? And then, again, the slut thing comes up again.
1: Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. uh, I
1: love that by the end of the movie, like, after she stabs him and kills Matthew Lillard, and they're like, oh, well, this is the scene where the killer comes back, and she just shoots him in the head. She's like, not in my (laughs) movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah.
1: Which you know, that's always what happens. So it's like, yeah, let me shoot him in the head. He can't come back from that. And and that's what's interesting about the sequels is it's always a different killer. Like you know, they don't come back. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're dead. Right. Even though there I'm were sure theories in part three, and then even with the newest one that they were going to somehow bring Matthew Lillard's character back. I don't know how you survive a that death though
0: yeah 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 Matthew Lillard was such a like staple in a lot of especially movies aimed at teens at this time
1: yeah even though he's like 30
0: (laughs) yeah I think he's like visually obviously 30 but (laughs) but he was just so well liked I think people just wanted him in everything I think
1: he's like one of the older people in the movie I think he might even be older than David Arquette which is kind of funny
0: yeah, he just sort of plays off that goofiness, I think, and that's how he gets away
1: with it. Well, I mean, that one scene after like they uh, they reveal their plan and they're stabbing themselves to look like they like survived. They're just the survivors of the killing, and like when Sydney one-ups them, and he's on the phone, he's like, "My parents are gonna be so mad at me because you know it's like it, really they're just spoiled, rotten." brats who thought they could get away with something and didn't realize there's consequences to these type of actions and not caring or valuing human life
0: yeah and and skeet ulrich's character you know he was mad that he feels abandoned because his her mother had slept with his dad and and instead of blaming his dad, he blames her mother for some reason. And Yeah, so like, your dad had an affair.
1: Why aren't you mad at your dad? <laughs>
0: <clears throat> yeah, he's convenient. And, like, the whole movie, too, like, we're kind of wondering if Nev Campbell's dad maybe did it, right? Because
1: Yeah, that's the whole red herring, because, like, he's disappeared, they can't find him, and, like, you know, if she had an affair, like, that's a total motive, you know?
0: hmm It's the husband that, you know, people always... That's the first suspect, right? A significant... Always.
1: And uh, speaking of, like, the nature of true crime, I I just did a David Fincher ranking. Really, Gone Girl's a really good, like, expose of that true crime obsession that people have. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think lately we're sort of examining that and, like, is it possible... I think it is to be interested in that genre in some way that's not so destructive and exploitative. Right.
1: Um, I think there are
0: ways to do that. And it starts probably with making sure that the, uh, the victim's families are on board and that the motive be to seek out the truth and to, for justice to be served and not for, not to just be delighted by the details, you know?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah because um, yeah. I feel like with almost every serial killer like famous serial killer like we're more our culture seems to be more obsessed with the killer than the people the victims like oh how did they do it and like you said like they try to elevate these people as like their criminal masterminds and it's like okay they're not they're not like Luther me, okay they're yeah they're
0: not <laughs> to me the simple answer is because we've portrayed them that way um, yeah. in the same way that in this movie it portrays the killers as not very intelligent and not very interesting. And therefore we end up rooting for the victims and their survival and we care about them and connect with them. And when they turn around and, and turn the, the gun back on the killer and take them out, we're like, yeah, hell yeah. You know, because the writer and director wanted us to do that. So I think, you know, we do have a responsibility as a society. And I think creatives also have a responsibility too in how these stories get told because you control the narrative and what we want people to be interested in, they are interested in. I think people have been interested in these serial killers for so long because of how they've been portrayed. And so I think the movie's kind of touching on that. And it's really interesting. And yeah, it makes me view this movie differently than I did. In the past, I kind of always was like, ah. I'm not really into like slasher flicks. And now I'm like, oh, this is like an interesting and well done take on that.
1: Well, what's funny is, you know, there were other movies before Halloween that can kind of count as kind of predate the slasher, psycho, peeping Tom, and especially Black Christmas. Mm -hmm. But I think the success of Halloween people took like the wrong things that worked in that movie. Like, cause if you hear John Carpenter talk about it, he was like, I wasn't trying to make that. I wanted to just make a suspenseful movie about a killer stalking <laughs> people. Like, like there are like all the, the touchstones and the tropes, but like really they just took what they liked and thought that's why Halloween was so successful and kind of, downgraded it to where it was nothing more than violence and nudity
0: yes and i mean i think that happens a lot right somebody comes up with a groundbreaking idea and a new story a new way of telling a story or a new you know effect or a new plot point or whatever and people will like do it to death and not necessarily understand what was unique about it (laughs) yeah i'm not
1: throwing shade at jason and friday the 13th fans some of those movies are better than others i agree i i Um, I think
0: those i think those movies are entertaining but Um, let's be honest
1: it the original friday the 13th is nothing more than like them copying pasting halloween and changing it to (laughs) summer camp and upping the violence and nudity like it's basically they're like let's do that again but with the stuff people want to watch and, or what they thought the, audiences. Well, I guess at the time they did, because those were hugely popular movies.
0: Right, and I think, like you said, I, I wouldn't come for any specific fans or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, these are fictional stories, and I think every genre has its place. But I also agree with you that there are some films that were the groundbreaking blueprint, and then there are like endless copies, basically. So,
1: And I yeah. think this one should be up there with the Halloween... And the nightmare on Elm street, especially in the slasher genre, because it's another mm-hmm. one that kind of subverts and changes the, what we expect in these type of movies. And yeah, we got a lot of knockoffs for a little while, you know, the, I know what you did last summer and urban <laughs> legend, but that's, yes. that's the nature of the, whatever is trending in horror. We're going to beat it to the ground till something new comes along. <laughs>
0: Definitely. I completely agree. Um, Were there any other scenes or kills that you wanted to talk about?
1: I mean, I'm not really one that watches these movies for the kills. I mean, yeah, there's always creative and inventive ones, but it's (laughs) it's really the plot. I agree. It's it's really like that it's so self-referential, and I think that's what helped me as a little movie-obsessed little child to get into these type of movies. And honestly it's kevin williamson's screenplay like i don't think he ever wrote anything as good as this i know he kind of got he was kind of on a trend there for a while in the 90s and we recently covered the faculty which i do enjoy that that for what i enjoy that for what it is i know it's not a great movie but it's a fun little monster movie yeah i think it's fun he did a halloween sequel um I guess he's most his most other famous claim to fame is writing creating Dawson's Creek, you know, which was a I didn't really watch it, but I know it was huge for people my age when it was on the air. Like I remember kids talking about it and stuff, but
0: Yeah, I didn't really watch it either, (laughs) I'll admit.
1: And you know, it just showed you that with Wes Craven's direction that he was able to make another groundbreak breaking film in the genre, even if he sometimes begrudgingly didn't want to come back and do it.
0: Yeah, he is just what he was good at, really. Uh, yeah. And Michael maybe that's agreed. why
1: he stayed on and directed all of the sequels except for the newest one because, you know, we sadly lost him in 2015. Because, yeah. you know, he kind of stepped away from the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels because he didn't really want to do more of those. And maybe that was like him wanting to stay in control of the franchise and it not getting out of hand or not doing what he felt like the elm street franchise went down
0: yeah i could see that definitely yeah i agree with you i think this movie the plot is what's interesting and i think the concept too of like i don't know that another slasher movie thought to or explored this idea that like if the killer picks you know kind of a a mask that's readily available that anyone can get. Like there's all those scenes in the, in the school where like a bunch of people are wearing them or like, that's a way for people to be in two places at once, quote unquote, because two people can just wear the same costume. Like, I think it did some fun stuff with that and that the nature of that is frightening too, I think because then it's like our main character is like never safe because whether she's at school or at home or like anybody can have access to that costume and have one everybody has a phone like you know all that stuff is kind of cool ideas i think in the movie
1: uh before we wrap it up did you catch wes craven's little cameo in the movie
0: no what was it
1: he's the janitor and he's wearing the freddy krueger sweater and the hat Oh, funny and i think (laughs) even henry winkler says sorry fred or something like that
0: nice nice i did not notice just to make
1: it even more meta like we're even talking about his own movies
0: nick said that he when uh kevin lillard dies that's like one of the nightmare on elm street movies a girl dies that way with like a tv landing on her
1: oh yeah we just watched it last night it's part three it's um it's one of his it's I, I won't say the word because it's derogatory, but Freddie <laughs> uses that word a lot. Freddie cusses like, a lot. It's like <laughs> it welcome to prime funny. time. It's like one of his most- yeah. That's most, what
0: Nick said. He was like, I wish he had said that again, but <laughs> it's, funny.
1: it's like one of his most famous one because that's kind of the one where he started becoming jokey. Freddie like yeah. I'm gonna make like he's scary in a,
0: Terry like in Rick and Morty like <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's totally because they keep using that word yeah. like they're making fun of that. <laughs> But <laughs> he funny. becomes like an 80s action star with his one-liners where mm-hmm. he kills you.
0: <laughs> They're kind of enjoyable, though.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think Dream Warriors rules, but, you know, each sequel of that franchise kind of gets less and less interesting because they get more jokey. There's always uh, at least one or two creative kills in there. yeah. And I won't fault anyone if they enjoy the whole franchise because, you know, he is an interesting character, even though he's like the grossest person ever. But, you know, that's what made that franchise different from the other films, franchises of that genre, because Freddy's also not like this soulless killing machine. You know, he's got a personality. That's very true. He's got a backstory. Like, it's not like he was just evil. <laughs> Which, I mean, I love that about the first Halloween. Like, no explanation. He just murdering people and Donald Pleasant's overacting to like 20 to everybody else. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think this is a brilliant movie. I think it's definitely of its time, but I think it re-emerge not just horror but slasher genres because the slashers were done at this point like they had to run yeah, their course people were
0: like tired of them but this kind of refreshed it i i agree um what would you say um like why do you 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 kind of talked about that this whole time but to sum it up like why do you feel like you keep revisiting specifically this this movie
1: it's very weird right we always have certain movies that are like just logged in our brains and sometimes i wonder if like the movies we see when our younger have a bigger impact on us like Mm -hmm. for whatever reasons like a lot of the movies i discovered between the ages of 11 and 14 have like sometimes the biggest impact on me are like ingrained in my in my skull and Like, this is one of the ones I can pinpoint. Like, would I say it's my favorite scary movie or even in my top five scary movies? Maybe not. But, like, those other movies I probably wouldn't like if I hadn't watched this one. Because this is the one that opened the door for me. It was like my gateway drug to get into horror movies (laughs) and be okay with them. Because... Yeah, little sixth grade Cody before then was not having it, and he's like, "No." And this was like, "Oh, maybe these movies are fun and can be interesting to watch."
0: Yeah, would that be your your elevator pitch? Uh, you know, it's my gay, elevator gay pitch
1: would be for this movies is, "Oh, you don't like scary movies, but maybe you want to try something that's not family friendly or comedy like." You know, those are those, you know, you and I'm seeing a lot more of those lists too now, like family friendly Halloween movies or Halloween movies to watch with the whole family, which I get and there's nothing wrong. Some of those are fantastic and I love those movies, but like if you're wanting just a like um, an appetizer of spooky, you just want to <laughs> dip your toe <laughs> in the spooky pool and see if I you love like that. it. <laughs> try scream out because it's, it's going to be spooky enough that you don't feel like you're watching a kid's movie but it's right. got the humor and the self referential um, meta-ness to it that it'll keep you engaged that like oh yeah this is a movie I'm watching a movie they're aware they're talking about like they're aware they're in a movie you know even though exactly. they're like
0: yeah no, I totally agree with you. That's a really good way to put it. Um, and Cody, before you go, where can where can people find you?
1: You can find me personally on Twitter and Letterboxd at filmnerd85. If you are on Letterboxd, you can see the other three movies I pitched Lisa about talking about because I listed them as my four favorites for spooky season. Um, We have a YouTube page and a Facebook page and a Twitter page. And like I said, we just talked about Nightmare on Elm Street and Hellraiser. And we're going to do Dream Warriors and Season of the Witch, because I personally think Season of the Witch rules. And it's actually one of the better Halloween movies. And I like the David Gordon Green Halloween movies, but if they end it, which I don't think they will. But if they do, I would I would love to see them take the franchise with where they wanted to take it back when they did Season of the Witch.
0: That's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you again for for coming on and uh, you know, I know I know we'll be chatting about movies again soon either on my show or on yours. So
1: Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for uh being like, yeah, sure. Come on cuz I was like <laughs> I want to get on for spooky season and talk a, either a spooky or spooky themed movie. So thank you for having me. Um, I'm glad that you got to revisit this and enjoy it because I do think it is one of the touchstone. It's definitely got to be up there for the nineties horror films yeah, for sure. Yeah.